0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg and I'm on a mission. Since I was a high school intern in public radio back in NPR's first year on the air, I've devoted my working life to seeking out and disseminating knowledge that I hope will be enlightening and will benefit the lives of our listeners. But the grants we get, the generous support provided from foundations and some others, simply don't cover all our expenses. And if you like what you hear, We're asking for your help so we can keep this going. Please visit humanmedia.org, and at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and Documentary Educational Resources. This special project is supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation and by the Humankind Program Fund. You're listening to Libraries Reimagined from Humankind. I'm David Freudberg.
1: This is going to sound strange, but the most romantic place you can possibly be is at a library on a Friday night when it's closing. It, the ambiance in that library and the echoes of everything that happened during the week in, the, in that library just seems to come alive. And the memory lights up in your head as you're locking that door on a Friday evening.
0: This is Richard Ashby Jr., director of the Stow Rocks Public Library in the town of McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, outside Pittsburgh. He's a true believer in libraries as a free, open-to-all institution in every community. And today's libraries are percolating with change, driven by the tide of technology, which has transformed so much of how we access and use information, but also by the urgent need to preserve the norms of civility, which find a sanctuary at the library. Richard Ashby tuned into this role at his first library
1: job. It was a brand new library in a small hamlet on Long Island. I started out as a security guard. And I was promoted to the custodian, if that's a promotion. And um, I worked as assistant librarian for the children's section. Then I worked in the, I helped develop the teen section. Then I sat behind the reference desk. and not, I didn't have a librarian's degree.
0: That deficit became a barrier to further advancement. So with tuition help from a community development organization and a church, Richard went on
1: to earn his master's in library science. I absolutely love libraries now. I cannot go on a vacation without visiting the libraries in the different communities that I go to. I cannot drive down the street of a community that I've never been to without stopping into the library. In some towns, the local library is the
0: only indoor public space where everyone is allowed. You can stay hours at a time, no questions asked. But the library is no longer just stacks of books and periodicals or CDs and DVDs. The fixtures there now include banks of computers that extend the library's walls to the outer reaches of the Internet, which means a revolution in how libraries serve their patrons. But at core, this remarkable local institution remains a repository of learning and literature in its
1: many forms. It's just the culture of a library. It's just the, the fact that I can walk into some place and that it is full of knowledge. I can get lost in a book. You can get lost in a, in a, on the a computer. You can get lost in a children's story. hour, hearing a story. And Richard Ashby,
0: along with many colleagues at America's 120,000 libraries, have come to regard their job as a calling, an opportunity to help people locate the resources and develop the skills to lead more fulfilling
1: lives. It is a profession with a high degree of satisfaction. It is a, it is a profession with a high degree of Sadness sometimes you see you see someone walking into the li- library and you just your heart breaks. A lady was in the library this week um, Monday, and she was at the computer and she had been there three t- three days last week, and I never really paid her much attention and Monday, I went over and was talking to the lady, and she was crying, little crying, and I said, "What is the problem?" She said that the car dealership down the street from the library had closed and they closed all of a sudden and that she was out of a job and she had worked there for 15 years at 875 an hour she was trying to find a new job and she was frustrated and she was crying and she kept saying that she couldn't get the computer to work and um, one of the staff members was was not giving her the proper service and I was a little frustrated. It turns out that the, um, one of the keys was getting stuck, and she couldn't maneuver the, maneuver it right. So anyway, we, we sat. So I told the staff member, you sit down with the lady, and you fill out the applications that she needs to be filled out. You stay with her until she's satisfied. And she did. And it took about 45 minutes, but the lady got up, and she started crying again. And she said, "Well, you know, I, I'm sorry I was so much trouble. Um, I thank you I thank you for your help and I thank the staff for their help and I said no need to cry. Um, that's our job our job is to help you and I want to apologize if you if you didn't feel like you were getting the service that you needed or deserved earlier. but these are some of the th- things that happen.
0: Not long ago, some observers predicted that the cornucopia of information available online would sap libraries of their vitality, in particular young people might not show up. But as it turns out, digital natives who've grown up with this technology are the most likely generation of Americans to visit the library building and to access it online. Elizabeth LaRocque directs the Turner Free Library in Randolph, Massachusetts near Boston, where upstairs a young adult space along with the Turner Free Studio are a magnet for kids.
2: We have maybe 60 to 70 teenagers come every single day after school to spend time in the library. Our second floor is our main level. We've got our computers, and we have all of our adult um, materials as well as a quiet room for those who still feel that a library needs to have a quiet space. We have one of those.
0: Now, is that a controversy, whether a library needs a quiet space?
2: I think it's a controversy in many towns, but less so here. Our library is more like a community center, and people come here to have meetings. People come here to talk to each other, to collaborate on projects. If they do need a quiet space, we do have it. And if it does get filled up, we do offer um, earplugs.
0: (laughs) That's a portable quiet space. Yes. For many residents of Randolph, which is ranked the most racially diverse town in the state, using the library is woven into their everyday lives. A regular patron, Lori McDermott, operates the local garden center.
3: When my children were little, I think back then we didn't really have a lot of money, and coming here, taking out books, um, was just a huge part of our week, and I think helped shape who they are you know just reading
0: did any of them become voracious readers
3: they both are mean, we would take out 10 to 15 books and i would have to keep track of them all you know they would fall behind a desk and you know going back to get more we would have to make sure we had every one um i think that was a big part of kind of helping them be responsible
1: to the mall, it's expected that you'll spend money. You go to a coffee shop, it's expected that you'll buy coffee. So you can come here and you can spend all day using the Wi-Fi, using the
0: computers. It's truly one of the the last places where community can come together with no expectation. It's a nice thing. As a public venue, libraries are not immune from the turbulence of American society. And this includes library patrons who struggle with the opioid epidemic. It's an uncomfortable reality that some people experience a drug overdose while at the library. This has happened often enough that some libraries formally prepare for it.
2: We have done A lot of training for our staff around how to respond to this. It's really incredible to see my colleagues snap into action.
0: Elissa Hardy holds the unusual position of social worker at the Denver Public Library. When someone ODs on the premises, they've developed protocols for rapid response, which include administering Narcan nasal spray, an emergency medical antidote.
2: We have someone who is performing the life-saving measures. We have another person calling 911. We have another person directing human traffic away from the scene. Um, We have someone at the door waiting for paramedics to get them up here when they arrive. It's, we've we've nailed this down. (laughs) I'm just really grateful that we are able to reverse overdoses here at the library. As of today, in the last two and a half years, we've reversed 28. And that means there are 28 people that walked out of here alive.
0: What's it like for you to be present when a overdose is reversed through Narcan?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll be really honest, it's actually really kind of hard to talk about it because I feel really emotional about it. It's that impactful. Um, Because you're afraid that the person will not wake up um, and when they do, it's a good thing.
4: We see over 2,500 people a day through our doors. Um, so, whatever's happening outside the library, I always say, is probably happening inside the library. We're serious about being a public
0: library. Rachel Fuel is the administrator of the Denver Central Library in the heart of downtown.
4: When we see all those people, you see just a wide variety of needs. But as our social work team has been able to get out to our other locations throughout the city and approaching our customers in a little bit of a different way and and kind of digging in a little bit with staff to find out, like, Well, what's going on? People are complaining that um, there are people parked in in your parking lot while we're closed. What's going on there? Well, the social workers are able to then walk around and go talk to those folks who are in their cars and find out some of them are experiencing homelessness and they're using our Wi-Fi when we're closed so that their kids can get
0: their homework done. The social work staff as well as librarians are trained to listen carefully. Many people in difficult circumstances lack the information to understand which resources are available. And when we
4: invite them in, we discover more of their story um, to hear that, you know, they're here because they don't have anywhere else to go. And the only shelter they have is their vehicle. Um, And so... Our our social workers are just working then to connect those folks to the resources that are available throughout the city, um, to library resources, inviting them in. You're welcome here in our building.
0: Does this affect whether people are comfortable here in the library, the users who are not dealing with these issues?
4: So I'd say the library is a really unique place because it's one of the only places, maybe the only place, that anyone can show up with whatever they've got going on in their life, whether they're housed or unhoused, whether they have a job or not, um, wherever they are in their life situation. And in so many cases in our society today, we can opt out of looking at people who are different from us, from being in a space where someone is different from us. So I think the library is a really cool and unique place that we can have this dynamic of people encountering um, others who... Aren't on the same path that you are on, and that can make people feel uncomfortable. I have think. Have
0: you heard that from oh, yeah. customers here? Yeah,
4: I have. Um, and and we've heard also that people intentionally try to visit our our downtown location because they understand that there is a huge gulf in the haves and have-nots in Denver. And so, if you can put yourself in a place where you see that this is what's happening in our city and you're thinking about why is this happening and what can I do to make a change there what can I do to share with my kids that this is a reality of life but that sits well for some people and it sits very uncomfortably for others.
5: Thank you very much. I'm David. Hi, Tim.
0: How you doing today? Sick. Sorry about that. It's Okay. Uh, I understand that you're a regular user of the library here.
5: Yes. And uh, what services do you take part in here? Well, I put in my job applications on Craigslist. That's that's about it right there. And maybe if they can help me, like a bus pass every now and then.
0: Is that uh, for one day, or how does that work?
5: It all depends on if they have any, because there's different people with different reasons and everything. They try to share them. So when
0: you go on Craigslist and send in job applications, what kind of work are you looking for? I work hospitality.
5: So is that like hotels and restaurants? Uh, Restaurants mainly, or some motels. all depends what they have.
0: So uh, are you currently unemployed?
5: Yes, yes, until I get my new uh, identification card. And they'll be this week. And
0: that's identification for what?
5: Uh, state ID. I see. Colorado. Because if you don't have a driver's license, you don't have ID. Yeah, no, even just <coughs> an ID. Just shows who you are. Mine expired a few months ago when I got hit by the bus. You got hit by a bus? Yeah, I was across the street, wasn't paying attention, got hit by a city bus. Yeah, sorry to hear that that happened to you. It still hurts, as long as I going to keep my head up and move forward.
0: Right. right. May I ask, where did you sleep last night?
5: I slept back on an alley. Although I don't want to admit it, but I did. You slept in an alley? Nope. So, no. No uh, human being should have had to go through that. Yeah. No. So how many hours a day would you say you're online here? Uh, maybe two hours a day. Mm-hmm. Maybe 15, 20 minutes here. Come back a few hours, 15, 20 minutes.
3: It's actually a big, beautiful building, and there's plenty of room for everybody.
0: Michelle Jeske is Denver's city librarian. She serves as chief of staff for all 26 libraries in the system. We spoke at her office in the central branch.
3: Um, And it's actually one of the joys of my life to work in a place that is so inclusive and welcoming to everybody. I love walking around and seeing every kind of person that exists on this planet in our library buildings. Um, but I think there is a reality that is not as comfortable a place for some people. And it's not the library of people's childhood memories in a lot of cases, for a lot of reasons. It's not just a- about this. Like, it's libraries aren't quiet anymore, typically. And um, we're doing all sorts of, you know, programs and services that wouldn't be experiences that we had as kids. So I, I feel like it's part of a larger... Um, conversation about what a public library today does for its community.
0: We're examining the evolution of public libraries to modern learning centers and community hubs free Wi-Fi, training in computer skills, and special services for patrons of all ages. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, part of Libraries Reimagined, and to obtain audio downloads or CDs, please visit humanmedia.org.
6: We have much better connections now than we did then, but 20 years ago, you know, people, if they had it, they had dial-up.
0: Lara Clark in Chicago is deputy director for information technology policy at the American Library Association, which helps to strengthen library staff and services throughout the United States.
6: Libraries have been on a steady march to bring in all of this technology and make it freely available to people. We have human intermediaries that are experts in information access who are also there to help people learn.
0: But the dizzying advance of the information age has left many Americans behind. The digital divide, although it's narrowing, remains real among many low-income and rural citizens. A report in 2017 showed that about a fourth of us lack Internet at home
6: you have to have the access to the devices and to the internet itself. But for so many people, they also need somebody to help them learn. I was in a library once, and I was talking to a librarian doing research, and uh, she said, people come into the library and they will take the mouse and they will point it at the screen because that's what their familiarity was. And so every day, librarians across the country are helping people come online many times for the first time, and even more importantly, the technology changes every day, every week, and librarians are working to keep up with that like we all are and to make it possible for people to catch up in the digital age.
7: Yes, it was important to get people online to learn how to do things online, but today if you want to apply for a job, the only place to apply for a job is online.
0: Use of the internet, says librarian Brian Bannon, is now practically a survival skill in the modern age.
7: If you want to apply for benefits, the only place to apply for benefits is online. I mean, really, if you anything, just about anything you want to do now, there isn't a paper option or very few paper options. Um, and so the skill set to do it and the access to do it is even more critical today.
0: In 2019, Brian was appointed director of the New York Public Library. He also serves as president of the Digital Public Library of America.
7: I was a, a child who actually struggled to learning to read and, and write. I'm dyslexic. And so... Um, the library for me, um, was, was actually an unlikely place, uh, to go out after school. And so, um, it wasn't a place I necessarily connected with. It was a place that I think, uh, my family went, my, my sister went, um, but in some ways, I felt sort of like an outsider looking in. Um, so
0: the dyslexia produced anxiety for you. It
7: did, and I think because um, I didn't uh, reading didn't come easy to me. Um, uh, you know, in contrast, my sister you couldn't get a book out of her hands, and and for me it was it was a lot of work. And so um, you know, libraries for me became analogous to something that was hard for me. And so I was more likely to be seen at a museum, or playing sports, or doing more active activities, or in late, a little bit later in life in theater and some other things that were more experiential in nature. And obviously I learned to read and write like any other kid, but it was just um, the traditional ways were a little more tricky. Um, you know, fast forward. Actually, um, you know, I got my way through high school and, and, and into college, and and you know, where I actually came to libraries was actually a, a professor um, of history who was um, I was doing an independent study with, and we were thinking about uh, what I might do as a career, and um, we were working on a project looking at uh, social justice movements. And she paused and said, you know, have you thought about co- going into libraries? So we, we were having a conversation about intellectual freedom and access to information. And, and she knew I was dyslexic. And I, you know, obviously had, had overcome it and was, you know, doing fine in school and all those things. And, and I, I thought she was joking. Um, and I was like, really? You know, li- you know, why would I do library? You know, and she said, you know, she, she really schooled me on what the core mission of what libraries are about and that they exist in the, as these democratic spaces to bring access to information and ideas to people to, cre- you know, create a stronger, more democratic society I mean it was a really uh, you know eye-opening moment and and then I ended up going to library school and um, and really ended up becoming a librarian.
5: cool did you check if the all the DVDs
1: are inside?
3: Uh yeah I did
5: so those are returned correct?
1: Mm -hmm. You're gonna check that out in one single card? Yeah. Two separate? Thank you.
0: Local libraries enjoy enormous popularity in America. According to a recent survey, over 90% of Americans view libraries as welcoming and friendly places. And the range of users is astounding. A majority of women, of parents, of 16 to 29-year-olds, of people who hold college degrees, of African-Americans, and of those in households earning less than $30,000 per year All these folks have visited a library in the last
7: year. What's kept me in this field is that is the mission of public libraries is quite a radical one, and you know but libraries in general, particularly public libraries, and it stems from an idea that Benjamin Franklin came up with over 250 years ago about creating these public spaces that connect people to the ideas of the day to create a stronger, more vibrant, you know, hopefully competitive society. And it was it was supposed to be a physical place of innovation and creativity. And right in the heart of that li- library that he opened, which is still a museum today, is where you can see where he did many of his most famous experiments with science and technology. It was a living laboratory of ideas so to speak. And so in some ways, I think that my notion of what a public library was and and really in a lot of ways, the public library that I grew up with really wasn't fulfilling its full potential or mission even in those days. And I think that the mission um, that we have and and the work that we do in libraries today is really to fully realize the, the potential.
0: And over that long history, one thing seems to be constant, that libraries retain an extraordinarily high degree of public confidence, even in these times of intense polarization in our society.
8: It's libraries and firefighters. If you look at every study, those are the two public service professions that are still remaining with 80-ish percent of the population saying, we value this, we value these people.
0: Librarian Valerie Horton served as longtime director of Minitex, an innovative service for libraries in Minnesota and the Dakotas.
8: I think it goes back to that hyper local. You know your local librarian. You probably went to school with his children or you shop at the grocery store with her. You know, your librarian is connected into the community. And all of the research shows that we trust the people who we interact with more than people who we have distance from. Plus, You just cannot talk to a librarian or a library employee who is not passionate about the ability to transform lives. I mean, literally, when we go to conferences,
3: we we share beers and we talk about how we impacted someone's lives. I think it's because we've stayed true to our mission and our vision for the whole history of public libraries.
0: Michelle Jeske is the city librarian of Denver.
3: How we do that has changed, but the actual core of being about democracy and being about free and equal access for everyone is at the heart of every decision that we make. And as long as we stay true to that, I think we're going to remain trusted. We're not, you know, flipping around like in trying to, you know, figure out where we're going and what we need to do to get there, I think. We're pretty laser-focused on providing everyone in the community these opportunities to thrive.
0: Coming up, the role of public libraries in helping to preserve our basic right to ask questions and learn knowledge. And we hear the inspiring story of the Sidewalk Librarian, Humankind continues in a moment.
8: The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.